like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. If we can't get, if we can't understand the nuance of yeah. all of this, it's just. I read an art. There was an article posted today. Um, uh, I think it was on the Facebook page, Men in Child Care, mm-hmm, about people um, don't think men should work in child care. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it was a it was a post. It was very short, very written, third hand. It was a very strange thing to read. I was like, who wrote this? Who published this? Is this even real? Um, about a man who had a very real and I would say almost common experience of parents accusing that he had touched a child inappropriately, mm-hmm. and he goes on to say that he um, that they had all these rules in place to protect teachers from this, like teachers can never be teaching alone. (laughs) Teachers can never be teaching alone. Um, And then he uh, also says that um, he was moved to a different center and then different center. And now he's leaving the job entirely because feminism ruined it. Oh my God. Whoa. So many things flying around. And of those things, my, I had three major issues with it, which was, he, that first of all, the whole idea that um, teachers should teach alone or should never be allowed to be alone with children in that environment is a big old deal to me because if you can't be alone with kids, if you can't be trusted to be yeah. alone with kids, what the heck if, are you doing there? If the only thing <laughs> that keeps you from harming a child is the presence of another adult, then there are some deep issues and yeah, you shouldn't be alone with them. Right. And but that can't it, be the guiding principle. Like And all these other things like he says like we're not all monsters, which to me implies that he also agrees that that he would also stigmatize a man in that situation because he doesn't know if he's one of the majority that are monsters. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just this whole thing where it's like it totally blocked out the parents' perspective of everything that yeah. They that they were victims of this thing that we're talking about. This whole idea that every little thing that happens is a huge major impact on on a child's life, and so that's when you get parents who interrogate their children about their day and wind up 
finding out things that didn't necessarily happen, but because of the way that they're asking those questions, like the whole satanic panic thing of the 80s, the way that they're asking those questions just kind of pulls out all these answers, and then it becomes this whole big crazy thing where, of course, we have to start taking it that seriously because all these accusations are coming to light. And then it also takes away this whole idea that the reason that men aren't respected in childcare is because... They th- people in general might think that a man do- must be mentally unwell to lower himself yeah. into doing women's work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it was like, I-, I felt like we definitely needed to touch on that just because of that whole idea that it's okay for parents to be concerned about these things because there is this whole life and death scenario or this whole risk of there are teachers in this world like there's a child care center in my city just last night there was a whole big thing about a teacher flicking a child in the mouth for calling her fat i've seen that so many times though and it's just like (laughs) there is like there's a whole i there's a whole thing of fear around um, any kind of group child care setting that we have to balance respecting why that fear is there and doing what we can to prove that fear wrong. And on the other hand, not letting it impact the way that we work with children, mm-hmm. like as if, as in making rules about how many teachers have to be in the room so yeah. that it's always two sets of eyes on a situation. It's yeah. just... It just makes me sad (laughs) when we're on that other hand of changing our practice in order to keep feeding that fear or treat that fear like it needs to be there and should always be there forever and there's nothing we can do to fix it. Well, and it, it, again, for me, it it goes back to we've done all this work to try and convince the world that what we're doing is valuable, Um, but we've belittled it in doing all that work to things like... um, you know, the outcome has been as long as it looks like they're doing school-like things, then yes, that is valuable. But when it, what it comes down to is all these things you're describing that are prevalent in the field and, and much more in need of our magnifying glasses yeah. and, our, and our critical thinking skills um, and, and pushing for everyone to have a degree and pushing for everyone to have a curriculum um, isn't going to do that. Yeah. Well, and neither will um, ridiculous regulations such as right. you have to have a certain amount of inches of fall area under your playground. You have to have, (laughs) you have to make sure that you don't ever have sitting water more than six inches. Like just all these little things where we've built in this magnifying glass because, and it almost makes it seem as though if you jump through all those hurdles to get there, then you are, that is your way of proving that you are not a bad place. Yeah. But turns out all those bad places that are still doing these things are, operating these bad practices in spaces that aren't touched by the regulations in any way because that was the thing the whole drama with that other center in my city was that she called the police and the police said well it's not illegal to flick a kid in the mouth 
sorry, uh, there's nothing that we can do for you. Whereas in reality, there are regulations in place that are not governed by police or criminal law. (laughs) There are regulations in the civil sector that say you can't physically punish children in any way. And so it's just navigating that weird world where it's, there's a huge magnifying over all these places, magnifying glass over all these places, but there's none over the places where we send most of our kids, which would be public schools, private schools. There, are, of course, there's all the magnifying glasses about like policy, um, how we interact with the uh, curriculum, all this stuff. But they don't have rules saying six inches of water, or six inches of water or less is considered a pool. They don't have rules yeah. like you have to have six inches of mulch. There's no one coming in and inspecting them from the health department, except for their kitchens, I should say. Sure, <laughs> There's yep. no one coming in and looking that deeply into them because of this idea that, well, everyone works there has a degree. Yeah. Certificate. Yeah. Yeah, I got into uh, a little bit of an argument on a discussion board in one of my classes this summer where we were talking about accreditation. And I said, and, and QRIS systems and, uh, or programs, and I said that I felt like it needed to be less about what's on your shelves and more about the competence of the teachers. Like there needed to be some way of measuring the the day-to-day competence of the adults who are in the room and how much they understand the why behind what they're doing and so then they were but they they have to have degrees so that competence is built in and that's not what I'm talking about I I think (laughs) a teacher needs to be able to tell me why anything in their room is in their room or why they responded in any situation you know if whether it's flicking a kid in the mouth or calling him a cheese bag, they need to be able to explain <laughs> yeah. what yeah. why they did it. And sometimes maybe the answer is just because oh I thought it would be funny, um, you know. And sometimes I don't know. I I just feel like there's we say oh degreed teachers okay problem solved, and um, I, I've just seen too much reality to believe that that is really a solved problem. <laughs> For real, because I'm sitting here almost every single day like, they didn't teach this in my degree program. (laughs) No, and you know, I'm a semester away now from finishing my master's degree. And and there's honestly been very little in any of the work at any of the levels I've been in uh, this since I went back to school seven years ago. um, That that touches the real world that I've lived in 30 years of working in the field. Yeah, and you would think that since they build practicum into a lot of these degrees, that uh, practicum would put you there. But I'm, I've realized since the day that I opened my program that my practicum, the places that are approved to mm-hmm. engage with practicum in a lot of these schools are places that are, are, are centers or preschools or Montessori schools that are very much only accepting of white families with lots of money. Mm-hmm. Um, children who have access to big backyards and events that they go to every weekend or places like the zoo or the children's museum that they can go and let all this energy out where where I'm located of course it's like a like tons of diversity we have kids all over a spectrum of income and um, ethnicity just a, like a wild array in where we're located of anyone and everyone where we get a huge portion of kids who are apartment dwellers who don't have access yeah. to a yard, 
who don't have access to the Children's Museum or the zoo, whose parents work full-time to support them. And it's just this crazy thing of I was taught to do all these things and there was never any conflict. There was never any incredible, outrageous outburst of emotion. (laughs) There was never a time where a child got so overwhelmed by their own emotions that they threw up all over themselves and now suddenly we have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Like, that never existed in my degree program. Nobody taught us how to deal with that. So what do we do? (laughs) What do we do now? And why isn't the real world being represented in our classrooms when we're teaching people how to become good teachers? Mm -hmm. Because if I go to another one of these state-required trainings and it's taught by somebody who's like, I was a child care center for 15 years, and they talk about the quote-unquote bad neighborhood they worked in like it was a badge of honor. Right. Oh, my gosh, yes. Although I'm guilty of that. I, I, I did that. It drives me up the wall. The yeah. last one we went to, because I my program is in Lincoln, Nebraska, but I live in Omaha, Nebraska, which is out, about 50 miles away. So they're kind of different, uh-huh. but also kind of connected in a weird yeah. way. Um, so a lot of our trainings take place in Omaha, and we were at one. For some reason, there's this whole stigma, mostly because of race, that North Omaha is a bad place, mm-hmm. and it's a bad place to be a teacher. Right. And Poverty be, and brown people. Right, yep. And so Omaha. she essentially was like, it was a training on social emotional development and she sits here and says she essentially wants to answer the question why am why are you qualified to teach me this she's like the reason that i'm qualified to teach you this is because i spent 20 years working in north omaha oh my god and she like gave a pause for everyone to go this white lady is a white knight yeah (laughs) she is saying she solved racism yeah Yeah. (laughs) racism for it. No, she survived racist. I mean, she survived being racist. That's what I mean to say. That's her badge of honor. Oh my God. Wearing that like a badge of honor, like you, like these black kids should have killed you, but they didn't because you're just so good at your job. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. (laughs) That's not how any of this works. (laughs) And um, that also feeds into the idea that those are not the places where you want to be teaching. Those are not the places where you want to be starting a business. Meanwhile, I'm over here like, I want another one. Give me one <laughs> over there. I want to put one over there. Because of the fact that, that any kind of diversity in this field, it brings about a lot more work for teachers. Mm-hmm. But it also, the things that these kids accomplish together, not even, like, completely race and ethnicity out the window not even thinking about it the things that they accomplish together are insane Mm -hmm. because they come from different backgrounds they know different things they know different words they know different experiences and places in the city that they go and it's just the coolest thing (laughs) to watch that especially to watch kids teaching other kids about what goes on in their home and then the other kids being like that's different than what I than what I experience at home. Like we don't cook every night. We don't do this and this and this. And granted, sometimes it can be sad stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and, and those are the those are also the teachable moments that we can hop into. But I think that if I had gone to school and practicum, there was an approved place to take my practicum that had any kind of diversity whatsoever. <laughs> I would have been far more prepared to do this job and I wouldn't have spent the first year or so of doing this job with 
really unwanted feelings about like negative feelings about the diversity that I was experiencing. Cause it, it turned into this thing where I was starting to say, Oh, it's okay that this kid gets hit at home because that's a, that's a cultural thing. Yeah. They just do that. And it's like, nobody told me that that's not true. <laughs> that's not a cultural thing. But for some reason, because I had, ex- I had never experienced it and suddenly I'm around black and brown kids and I'm told by their parents, it's a cultural thing. Uh-huh. I just took that as truth and <laughs> never really looked into it, but it's not. And so I was learn I was learning wrong things about the kids' lives that I was working with and nobody was there to tell me that I was wrong. And that's the biggest thing of taking a degree like it's, full and right and you know everything you need to know yeah. because then you start drawing conclusions that are wrong but thinking they're right because you're qualified quote unquote <laughs> yeah which which maybe kind of goes to the last that very last part of the quote that we started with when she um she says that our advocacy has backfired supported by the hand of scientists who are always seen as the most believable folks around um and maybe we could put academic <laughs> institutions in that same uh well apparently nowadays also moms with blogs on facebook oh my goodness yeah 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 but actually so i shared this quote on facebook and and on instagram and was cautioned that i was um belittling science uh which was dangerous they thought Mm-hmm. when I when I shared this and I was like no I think I'm just saying that we need to apply our critical thinking all the time even yeah. if someone has PhD after their name or um, you know M-A-E-D or whatever I'm going to yeah. end up with well, um, science we isn't can, end we all be all <laughs> well, yeah well you're a science guy right though so you I'm, can maybe speak to that a little bit well the entire, the entire point of science is that it needs to be questioned right. and I'm not saying that as a conspiracy theorist for anything, I think generally scientists, if you know who's funding them and you know what what they went into a certain study looking to find, you can have the critical thinking necessary. Anyone, anyone without a degree, with any kind of education can determine where exactly their bias lies. Mm-hmm. Or if... There is no bias at all in the study. (laughs) So I think I don't want to say that science shouldn't be trusted because I definitely there are plenty of things where science is full on right. But also you need to be a determining factor in how you're going to behave and practice as a result of the things that you're reading. And if it turns out that the things you're reading just don't sound all that right. Yeah, and, you know, honestly, nothing should be implicitly trusted. Yeah, (laughs) Um, because then we wind up with a whole bunch of people thinking vaccines cause autism. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes, yes, we do. Hmm. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was just totally taken in a different direction in my mind there for a minute. Um, so I don't, what, I, what do we want to leave this at? What do we, <laughs> where do we wrap this up? Um, we go forever. Well, um, we cover, okay, here's, we covered race. <laughs> we covered race, feminism, sexual assault. Right. right. Child abuse. 
I think you might be done recording this podcast in general. (laughs) We've covered it all. This is the last episode. (laughs) Farewell, everybody. I'm glad that I could end it on my first time back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. You ruined the podcast. (laughs) This is, I guess this is why we haven't had John. Yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate you being on. It's always so much fun to talk to you. I, you um oh wait maybe this is for off air well too late. started it now no when you were talking no, I don't about care. I don't care. the, the sa- satanic scare of the 80s or whatever you said um i just saw there's like a a limited series about the mcmartin preschool mm. situation and that's kind of what started and i was like oh travis should move to indiana so we can watch this one together <laughs> yes well i will tell you one of my um of my catalog of trainings that I give, one of them is 50% about the history of the McMartin. Nice. All right. Well, maybe I'll watch it and we'll record again about it's that wild. topic. wild. If anyone has not heard of it yet, look it up because I think anyone in this field needs to know about it and it know is where a lot the of truth about it. fear comes from. Because, and also in some of those trainings, I think that training has been given a total of two times. <laughs> I don't think anybody ever wants it again. But um, the first time I was like, who's all heard of this? And most of the people who had heard of it uh-huh. thoroughly believed yeah. that everything that was accused was true. And that was the end of the story. Yep. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Get ready for a ride, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's the homework for the listeners, then, is check that story out and figure out why why everyone is so afraid about things and why our advocacy continues to matter um, and our education. Okay. All right. I think we should stop here. (laughs) Fine. All right. All right. (laughs) Travis. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye. Bye. That's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh...